Are you ready to hear the word? Get ready to be fed. Years ago, Jeff and Sean Ferris led our youth ministry when our children were students. And so we're incredibly blessed by them personally and the church as well, corporately. And Sean Ferris is a school teacher by her education, but she's a woman of God who can declare and teach the truths of God that the world needs to hear. And so, Sean, we're honored to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Amen. This is Sean Ferris. Good morning, church. And those who are watching online, good morning to you as well. We have been in a series, Pastor Allen has been teaching a series called Honoring God and More. Today, I am preaching a message on honoring your salvation. I just wanted to um, remind us what the word honor means. Honor is to demonstrate high respect and value for someone or something, or to fulfill or keep an agreement. I am honored to be here today bringing a message that actually came from one single word that I heard at a women's Bible study a few months ago. I am blessed to lead a ministry to women in my neighborhood, (laughs) and it is called GRACE. It is an acronym, and it stands for Girls Receiving the Abundance Christ Extends. So we are women that are from all different church backgrounds, different walks of life. We come together under the headship of Jesus, and we go after the more. We go after everything that's in here, everything that's in here. And some of the Grace ladies are here today. Woo, thank you for coming. We even have T-shirts. That doesn't mean we're an exclusive closed group. We are open to any woman that wants to drive all the way out to Pecan Plantation. (laughs) I call it a ministry to Pecan and beyond. So this ministry actually came from a word that Jeff and I were given 28 years ago. And we were one of the couples. It was a small church then. And most of the couples were um, able to participate in what was called a presbytery. Now, a presbytery is from 1 Timothy. It's biblical. It's where prophetically gifted people will come and lay hands on you and declare what the Lord has for you in ministry. We did that 28 years ago in 1995. Some of you are nodding your heads because you were there too. Um, It was an experience unlike any other that Jeff and I had experienced. We had three prophetic men. One of them was... I'm not going to say. He's a pretty big man right now in the, in the church world. But um, from our mother church, Shady Grove Central, they sent three men down to prophesy over us. We didn't know what we were getting into, but we were ready. So they just began to do that, calling out giftings. We were kind of new to serving the Lord in a spirit-filled manner. And they started to call out ministries that God had for us. We were just amazed. We didn't know what to do with it. We knew that we weren't supposed to make it happen on our own. So we just took this pack of papers. um, Gosh, it was long. And we just put it in a drawer. We went about our lives putting God first and serving him the way that he was opening doors. So years later, we get it out again. We look back, and there's all these things that we already see that God has done. And we're like, whoa, 
We didn't even try to make that happen. He did it himself through us because we were willing. But the last two things, well, one of the last two things was that we were to reach out to our neighborhood. For there were people there that had everything they need in the natural, but not in the spiritual. So I remembered that after we'd already started this ministry eight years ago, I could not have done it without Lori Zeger because the Zeger home is our host home. <laughs> she encouraged me, you can do this, Sean. And it really came from um, a Pilates class I was teaching, and Jeff had said, why don't you start a Bible study? Get these ladies to come and hear the word. I said, oh, I don't know, that's too much, too much. But I did finally say yes. Um, I do teach a Pilates class in Pecan, and some of those ladies are here. Thank you for coming. And I'm just blessed and honored to um, bring the word to women. Most of them are retired, and for the first time in their lives, they have a chance to study the Bible. And for some, it's their first time ever. And to see these women grow in faith and just light up in the spirit is a treasure unlike any other. So what I love about this church, we have been here 29 plus years. Um, aside from our most loving and servant-hearted pastors, <laughs> we love our pastors. The thing I love most about this church is, well, okay, one thing, is the people who come here are hungry for the true word of God. You're not here for some pep talk. You want the word of God, and you're my people. <laughs> you are my people. Uh, I told you I did Pilates and Grace. That's my tribe, okay? We all need a tribe right now, a group of like-minded believers doing life together, growing together in faith. Everybody needs one. So if you want to come out to Pecan, come on out. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord God, we are thankful for this time, this moment that we have together to hear your powerful word. Lord Jesus, I'm standing here in front of these beautiful people, but I desire that it's not me that speaks. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak through me. I ask you to reach the hearts and minds of those that are open to receive the transforming, powerful word of God today. And I give you glory for everything you're doing in here and in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what is salvation? Well, there was a father who said to his son one day, Son, how do we get saved? How do you get saved? And the son said, That's easy, Dad. We just go to church every Sunday and we get saved. And the dad said, No, that is not how you get saved. And the son said, Okay, then I guess we better find a different church. <laughs> goodness. Salvation is a free gift given to all who believe in the finished work of the cross, that Christ died for my sin, and he rose from the dead to give me new life. It has to be personal. You can't just say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. Even the devil believes and trembles is what the word of God says. It has to be personal. It has to be that you realize I need a savior for my sin is too great. So it is a gift, like I said. You do not work for a gift, right? 
There are some who teach you've got to work, work, work your way to heaven. No, that is not supported in here. It's really not. So um, let's say you have a child, and that child's birthday's coming up. And you say to that child, I am so excited about the gift that I'm going to be giving you on your birthday. You're going to love it. And they say, okay, that's great. So Saturday rolls around, 8 a.m., you go and wake up your child. Hey, come on, it's time to go to work. Work? Why would I work? What am I working for? That gift I told you about? It's time to go to work for it. <laughs> would anybody do that in this room? No, a gift is a gift is a gift, right? So let's look at a beloved scripture that many of you have memorized in different versions, maybe than this. For God, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, sometimes we know that one so well that we don't even remember how powerful it is. Look at the first thought there, loved. God loved. Everything he does for us comes from love. From Genesis 1 to Revelations 22, is that right? <laughs> um, all the way through, it's love is his motivating factor. Then he gave. Remember that gift I said? He gave us the gift of his only begotten son, the hardest thing anybody would ever want to do or have to do, but he did it for us. Whoever believes in him, that's us. We don't want to perish. We want to have everlasting life. Sometimes we forget some other scriptures in John. In verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you're in Christ today, you're not condemned. Don't let anything, anyone, anybody, anywhere, enemy even, don't let him condemn you. You are not condemned. But if you do not believe already, the Bible says you're condemned. Let's look at one other scripture. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son should not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We know from reading the word that, that God has wrath against sin, not against his people, but against the sin. And he put all of that wrath on his son on the cross for us. But if you do not believe, then the wrath of God is still on you. Speaking the truth today. So you might say, well, what about repentance? Is that part of the gospel? Is that part of getting saved? Well, I believe it is. I looked through the word. I found 41 times where the phrase repent, then believe was there. I found it several times. So um, it's taught in the church in many different ways. Sometimes the church says, hmm, you've got to repent. You have to turn from your sin and turn to God. Turn from your sin. I don't believe we have the power to do that until we have the grace of God on us to do that. Let's find out what repent means. What does that word mean? I love to go and find meanings of Greek words. Repent in the Greek, metanoia, is an inner change of heart or mind. 
That's what it is. What it means is you're going about life, you hear the gospel, and you change your mind about what you believe of who Jesus is and what he did for you. That has to happen first, okay? And then we turn towards God and believe. So I was raised in the church. My parents were faithful church members. They helped build one of the churches we attended. Um, they were faithful to bring their six daughters to church every week. <laughs> one of my sisters is out in the audience today. Um, I was the youngest. I was always in church. I heard the gospel at a young age. I believed the gospel. But I did not hear about relationship. I was not taught that or I missed it. I don't know what. But in my heart, I had a hunger for God. So when I left home, I went out searching, making decisions for my life along the way, not knowing I had to involve God in that. Made some big mistakes. But I was always looking for a church that would teach me the true word of God and relationship. That's the part I was missing. It was like something in me. I had this hunger for more. I just had to find more. So um, while I was in my mid-20s, we found a good uh, believing group of people, and I was led by the Lord then to live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is for the believer, y'all. We go through our life, and we're walking, and we're making decisions, and some are good. Most are good, but then some are bad. And with that mind change where we think, oh, yes, oh, yes, that's sin, that's wrong, we turn. We turn back to God and say, Lord Jesus, I repent. Forgive me and bring me back into close relationship with you. That is what we're after. So a repentance is the lifestyle of the believer. Keep on living that lifestyle of changing your mind about your sin and turning towards God. And you will get intimate and close with him. and It'll be like nothing you've ever experienced. From that time on in my life, I've never been the same. <laughs> That's been a long time ago. So let me ask you some questions. And I want you to raise your hand. How many of you in this room would confidently say, I am saved? Raise your hand high and be proud. Be confident. I am saved. Okay, put them down. That's a lot of people. Praise God. I want to ask another question that you don't have to raise your hand to. Um, how many of us in this room fully understand all that salvation is. That's, good. That's a little deeper. And then how do we honor our salvation? Let me go back to what was on here. Back to repentance. Does repentance include godly sorrow? Some say you can't be saved unless you're crying and very sad about your sin. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that it's always that way. Sometimes, but not always. Can a five-year-old really, truly be godly, sorrowful for their sin when they haven't even lived much life to sin in? I don't know. But some of us do come to Christ with true godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So look at, you got two thoughts here, sorrow and repentance. Are they the same word or the same thing? They're two separate things. 
So yes, godly sorrow can happen at your conversion, but if it doesn't, don't believe that you're not saved. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. That's what's the best thing. I'm going to show you two ways to honor your salvation today. First is we need to truly know what is included or involved in our salvation. So we use the word saved. And some of us say, well, well can we use a different word? <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of funny in the Southern when you say saved. Are you saved? It comes out that way sometimes. And you're thinking, hey, I'm talking to people about Jesus. Can I use a different word? I mean, they're not out in an ocean drowning, needing rescue. They're not in a burning house needing to be yanked out to safety. Maybe they're a good person. They're a decent person. So do we have to use that word? <laughs> well, I believe it's the perfect word. Because if you are in Christ, you have, you have been pulled from the flames of hell. Heaven is real, everybody. Hell is real also. And if you are in Christ, we know where we want to spend eternity. It's the right word to use. Can I go back to that burning house? <laughs> Um, if you're a firefighter and you're doing that job, I have heard that one of the most dangerous things for firefighters is when people resist the rescue. So they're trying to help this person out of a burning house, and that person is so fearful and paralyzed, and they resist. They fight the one that comes to save them. Do not resist the rescue. His love is coming after you. Don't say no. Don't fight him because of pain that you've had in your past or things you've walked through in this life. Don't resist the rescue. His love is there for us. His love. So today I'm going to show you four benefits of our salvation. Oh, there's so many more, but I don't have enough time. <laughs> this is what the Lord gave me. Um, I didn't even include the best gift of all, the Holy Spirit, who comes to live within you when you say yes to Christ. He leads us. He guides us. He comforts us. He reveals Jesus more and more to us. He becomes our best friend if we let him. I bet that's the best benefit. But the ones I'm going to show you today are regeneration, justification, adoption, and wholeness. Those first two words are kind of big words. We're going to unpack those words just briefly, each one. Each one of these could be a whole message. <laughs> It could probably be a six-week series. I mean, they're so deep. So when we say yes to Jesus Christ, it means that we are regenerated, to be reborn, born again, made new. Jesus said we must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Regeneration of your spirit is instant. It's just like that. That's how quick it happens when you give your life to Jesus. But we are three-part being, y'all. We are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect. And we live in this body, love it or not. We are three parts. So when we say yes to Jesus, our spirit is made new, like that. Yet our soul or our mind has to line up 
with this truth. The majority of our Christian walk is getting our thoughts aligned with his thoughts. Isn't that the truth? Is there anyone here who is in Christ that might be struggling? Don't raise your hands. Struggling with old patterns of thinking, negative, yucky thinking from before you came to Christ. Is anyone here struggling with old patterns of sin? I just try, I try every day, I lay it down before the Lord, I give it to him, and I just do it again. This is reality in the Christian life, but it doesn't have to be that way. The old is gone. The scripture says it. You have to believe it. We must renew our minds to this truth. If you get nothing else out of today, I would say take this scripture and meditate on it until you truly believe it. What does it mean to meditate? It's not sitting like this, not like that, cross-legged, no. Meditate, um, I could use the definition to chew the cud, but that's gross and I'm not going to. I'm just going to give you the Hebrew word. <laughs> the Hebrew word is, I think I've got it up there. Oh, the old is gone. Instant, yes. Okay, I guess I don't have one for that. But the um, Hebrew word hagah, which means to say to yourself. So here's what you do. You take this one scripture and you read it and you read it and you read it over and over again. And then you speak it out loud. To yourself. Oh my gosh, our faith increases when we speak the word out loud. It really does. It's the truth. Try it sometime. You'll like it. Um, we're going to say it to ourselves. Say it to ourselves and then ask God for revelation. Lord, reveal. Reveal to me that the old is truly gone because I'm not living that way. And he'll do it. He'll do it. So I would say do not look at your past. I tell my ladies that there's only two reasons to look back at your past. The first one is for your testimony. Yeah, you got to give God glory for what he delivered you from. And the second one is for inner healing. Sometimes we need healing from that past, and we have to go there to gain that healing. So that's the only two reasons. Other than that, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, this slide justification is the next one. There's scripture, Romans 5.1. Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you see that at the beginning? It says having been, that's past tense. Justification happens quickly. You're already justified if you said yes to Jesus. And then let's also look at 1 Corinthians 6, let me preface this by saying Paul was talking about a list of sins that unbelievers were living in, and he's speaking to believers, and then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. What a great promise justification is instant just like that your spirit has made been made justified two parts there are two parts to the definition of justification the first one is that we have been forgiven of all of our sins all not just the little ones <laughs> but the big bad ones also and this is past 
present and future. That kind of blows our mind, right? <laughs> it's done on the cross. He did that for us. Acts 13, 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, not some, from those which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law was never designed to save us. The law was only to point out our sin and to show us we need Christ. We need a Savior. Yes. Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Wow, is our God a forgetful God? Does he just forget the sin that we did? No. You see those words, I will? That means there's a choice. He made a quality choice to not remember our sins. So why are we reminding him? Just want to know. <laughs> why? We don't need to. Let's look at a quote by Greg Laurie. Laurie Zeger used to work for him. Yeah, long time ago. We should choose not to remember what God has chosen to forget. Is that not powerful? Powerful. All right, the second part of justification is we have been made righteous. Pastor Allen tells us that a lot, and it's good to know this. Philippians 3.9, and be found in him... Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. We have been made righteous. Say amen. I love that. I'll take it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see that word become? It's not that righteousness is one of our qualities. We are righteousness because of him. Nothing that we've done but because of him. We are righteous. It's who we are. Live it, y'all. <laughs> we've got to do that. Okay, so now, um, remember I told you there was one word, one single word that led to this message? I'm going to tell that word to you right now. Here is the word, exonerated. Exonerated. We, in Christ, we have been exonerated. Let me tell you about this. When I was in that Bible study, um, one of my ladies who's here today, um, she was sharing. That's the thing about small groups. You can share stuff that's going on in your life. It's awesome. She was sharing about a struggle she was having as a mother of a young adult child, and she was feeling not good as a mother that she'd failed. So she knew the right thing to do was to go to Jesus. So she went and laid on her bed, got alone with God, and asked God to minister to her. And he told her, you are exonerated. Anything you've done wrong, I mean, that basically what that means. Well, I'm going to explain that in a minute. But 
that word hit her, and she shared it with us, and boy, did it hit me. Not me only, others that were in the room. I had never heard that word spoken in the context of Christianity. Let's find out what exonerated is. It comes from a Latin word meaning to unburden. It was first applied to physical burdens such as exonerating a ship from its cargo, lifting the load. Later, it was used to refer to the freeing of any burden, including blame or charges. Most commonly, it's used now in the justice system. The definition is to be relieved or unburdened of a hardship, to be cleared of accusations or blame. A court can find a person guilty or not guilty of a crime, but being exonerated of a criminal charge is different. It means that the court has overturned your conviction and has dismissed all of the charges against you based on new evidence. The court of heaven has found each one of us guilty of sin. Yet about 2,000 years ago, new evidence was brought before God's throne in the form of the blood of his precious son, Jesus Christ, shed for the sin of the world. And when we believe and receive that evidence, we are freed. That's a clap. Clap it out. Yes, yes. In Jeremiah 15, 20, this is the message version, it says, in those days and at that time, They'll look high and low for a sign of Israel's guilt. Nothing. Search nook and cranny for a trace of Judah's sin. Nothing. These people that I've saved will start out with a clean slate. Who doesn't want a clean slate? Boy, I want a clean slate. Yes, I do. And we have that in Christ. So when people bring up your past, tell them, Jesus has dropped all the charges. Let's do it. Use it. Yes. All right. Right now I want to um, see what it looks like to be exonerated. Finally free. A man overcome with emotion as he is finally set free after being held in prison since 1989. Sidney Holmes' family greeted him the second he stepped foot out the door. Holmes says the first order of business is to go eat. <laughs> wow. Was that kind of emotional for him? Very, and his family, so emotional. Now, when you came to Christ, it, maybe it looked like that. Maybe you knew that you knew that you knew you were finally free from the bondage of your sin. But maybe it didn't look like that. But I believe sometime in our Christian walk, God's going to give us a picture of what we've been freed from. And it's going to feel like that. It is. If it hasn't already, believe that it's coming. I want to ask a question. Don't have to raise your hands. Have you been set free from the prison of your sin? Have you been set free from the prison of your sin? I want to ask right now, I'd like everybody to close their eyes. 
I'm not finished with the message. We're just going to do this right here in the middle. If everyone would close your eyes and if you say, no, I'm not free. I'm not saved. I need Jesus. Or if you say, yes, I made that confession, but I've not been walking with him and I need to be set free. With everybody's eyes closed in this large room, I'd love you to be bold enough to raise your hand if that speaks to you. If you need to be set free. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for touching hearts and changing lives. So I would like to lead you in a prayer right now, and you'll repeat after me. I'd like everybody to repeat so they're not alone. If Let's say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose for me. I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask to be saved and freed from my sin once and for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, there's been some people regenerated just like that. Just like that. Woo. And justified. Justified. Just like that. Just like that. Oh, we're going to celebrate in a little bit. All right. What I'm going to show you here is a quote from John MacArthur. It says, on the cross, God treated Christ as if he had personally committed all the sins of every sinner who had ever believed so he could treat believers as if they had lived Christ's perfect life. Wow, is that a promise or what? That is a promise. All right, third one. We're moving right along. Adoption, another benefit of the cross. And I don't need to define adoption. Some of you in here have adopted children. We know what that is. It's a beautiful thing. But I did want to tell you that there was a, guy, a man who said to his son one day, he said, son, you're adopted. You've been adopted. And the son said, well, I knew it. I want to meet my biological family. And the father said, we are your biological parents. Now go upstairs, pack a bag. The new ones will be here in 20 minutes. <laughs> Taking a minute to get it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that was just a funny. All right, for the word here. Ephesians 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Boy, here's another one you could meditate on. <laughs> we are chosen. We are holy and without blame in him. We are predestined and we've been adopted. Also, we're accepted. No matter what we do or do not do, that's how it works. Uh, yes, let me give you another one that's real 
encouraging here in verse 13 of that same chapter. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Wow, sealed is a big word. They used it in biblical times. The king would have a special ring with a special um, um, stamp. It's kind of like a stamp, but it's a little thing on there. And when he would make a decree or a law, they would have molten wax right on that paper, and he would push that ring into the paper, signifying that this is a done deal. After that happened, this, even the king could not reverse it. If you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, don't let anybody tell you that your sin is causing you to not be in his family anymore. Because the only way you can get unadopted is if you go through the legal steps of disinheriting your father. I believe Hebrews 6 speaks that that could happen, but I believe that's very rare. That's a big deal. Once you're adopted, it's done. It can't be undone unless you choose to be disinherited. And that's a very, very serious thing. And if you're thinking, is that me? If you even care, Pastor Allen tells us this, if you even care about that, that's not you. Because <laughs> if you were disinheriting your father, you wouldn't care one bit. So be encouraged. Be assured. That's what we need, assurance. Um, adoption. Oh, here's one more. Oh, I really love this passage. <laughs> Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are sons if we're in Christ. Well, of course, daughters too. It just stays in the mail in the, in the word. Which means we are heirs and we have an inheritance. If your parents did not leave and you an inheritance or were not able, no worries. You've got the richest inheritance for eternity <laughs> from your father in heaven. Yay. Adoption is instant. There's some in this room that have just been adopted into the family of God. Woo! Yay! So what I want to encourage you with is don't live as if you're a slave, because we're not. We've been upgraded through Christ. Don't live and call yourself a sinner. Oh, that might step on some toes. Live as a son. We are not sinners or slaves, even though some Christians are staying in that slave mindset. They don't even know that they are heirs to the richest kingdom in all of the universe. They're living below what God has for them. Don't stay in that place. Don't stay in a slave mindset. Live as a son. We are saints. The Bible calls us saints. Do we sin? Yes, we live in this human form and we can't always help it. We do sin, but that's not our identity. Don't say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Don't say that because you're living below if you do. Don't choose to do that. We must, we must know our identity in Christ in order to live victorious in this crazy world system. Would you agree? And we find it right here. He tells us who we are. If we'll just read it, <laughs> meditate on it, believe it, 
That's the biggest part. Um, if we know who we are, then we're not going to be tempted to allow the world to tell us who we are because we will know, and you're not going to shake me from that knowing. <laughs> if we know who we are, we won't fall for the confusion and deception of wokeism. Oh boy, I just said a loaded word. I truly believe that every Christian needs to know what wokeism is. Because if you don't, you might get deceived. Because it looks like a pretty package in some ways. It does. What is wokeism? It is a belief system that promotes liberal, progressive ideology and policy, which is extremely sensitive to systemic injustices and prejudices. It includes race, gender, and socioeconomics. You know that Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun? Wokeism is not new, y'all. It's really just a repackaged form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was alive and well during the days that the Apostle John was aging. Um, some say he thought they thought he was about 90 years old when he wrote three books of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he was in that 1st John, which Grace, we just studied that. Um, John was addressing Christians who were getting led astray by Gnosticism. I just love it that he wrote this book when he was 90 years old. Do you think God's through with you yet? If you're older, don't think that. So he had these Christians coming and saying, well, what about this? What about that? This Gnostic thing sounds pretty cool. It really means, Gnosticism means to know. It's all about knowledge, our head knowledge, and there's nothing wrong with knowledge if it's truth. But if knowledge is not truth, it can be dangerous. So they believed that they could know special secret knowledge, just like today. They believe that everyone, every person on the planet has a divine spark in them. But they deny that Christ came in the flesh. They deny his miracles. They believe the flesh is evil. That God made a mistake when he made the world because there's so much evil in it. You can't trust God. You can't trust God with the problems of this world system. No way. We have to fix it ourselves. That's what wokeism says too. Similar belief systems. They both believe that works bring enlightenment. Who doesn't want to be enlightened? Oh, my goodness. You might be out there saying, hey, I'm a progressive, woke Christian. And I would say to you, no such thing. No such thing. You might be, and I'm saying this in love, but you might be a deceived Christian who needs to be extremely careful about which Jesus you are professing. I just finished a book. It's called, it's called Woke Jesus. It's real easy. You could write that down if you're taking notes. Um, it's pretty intellectual, but it's so filled with all the deceptive things that have gone on in our society for millennia and are going on today. There are alternate Jesuses that are being professed. Do we want the biblical Jesus? Or do we want some woke knockoff Jesus. No, we do not want that. But it's deceptive. It draws people in by the love message. Love. We love. And that's great. Jesus is love. God is love. 
but there's truth mixed in that we've got to have. Woke churches, there are such a thing. There's woke Christianity. I don't see how that goes together. But there are woke churches who are re-imaging God to make him a female form. I was in a church recently for a funeral for one of my dear friend's father, and the minister was praying, and she was praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be the God and mother of us all. Wow. That was in church, y'all. So we have to protect ourselves. We have to be discerning. We have to know what this word says. And this is how we protect ourselves. This is our shield right here. <laughs> if we don't want to be deceived and drawn away by this stuff that's going on that's very... No, it's, it draws. It draws people away from their faith in Christ, the true Christ. We have to know the word. We've got to keep our eyes and our hearts right here. So don't be afraid. We don't have to worry about that. We have the truth. We can know. All right. Finally, I'm changing slides. Last one is wholeness. Another benefit of the cross. Wholeness is the state of being unbroken or undamaged. Y'all, we are all broken or damaged in some way. We live in this fallen world. We're not going to get through life without being broken by the things that happen to us. Uh, it's just truth. It is. We're broken and damaged. So is that, that's bad news, right? Well, let's see what God says about that. 1 Timothy 2, 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What a promise that. He wants all to be saved. That word saved in the Greek is sozo. It's really pronounced with a little D in there. Sozo, sozo. But it's easier to say sozo. It means to save, heal, to deliver, to make whole spirit, soul, and body. Okay. This word, sozo, it's used over 100 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot. So what it's saying here is sometimes we think that, you know, we're just saved. Our spirit is saved and we're going to heaven for eternity. Oh, that's awesome. That is the best news ever. But God also wants to save our minds <laughs> and our bodies. And his will for us is wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Whew, this part, we're going to have to work a little bit. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, who here likes to work out? <laughs> I like to work out. Some of you do. When you're working out, you're working out your muscles, right? You're working out your muscles. Are you working for your muscles? No, they're already there. God already gave them to you. You don't have to work for them. But some say this scripture means you've got to work to be saved. We've just got to work, 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 and try to get to heaven. Not supported in the scripture. <laughs> Not supported. Yes, we do good works. He leads us in them because we are his and we want to. A better translation for work out is this, to carry to the goal and fully complete. Does that give us a different meaning? 
carry to the goal and fully complete your own salvation with fear and trembling. We should always be in awe of God and tremble at his word. Amen. Good News Translation says, keep on working with fear and trembling to complete your salvation. We are saved, yet we are being saved. We're being made sanctified. We're being set apart. We are growing and becoming more like Christ. Amen. Amen. I am so close. We can believe for healing and deliverance as part of our salvation. Don't stop short of just saying, yes, I have a Savior and I have eternal life. No, no. We can keep going. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 is all about the cross. I don't understand how the Jewish people can just ignore it. But they do. They'll take it out. They don't use it, I guess. Um, In verse 4, we're talking about Christ on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs. That Hebrew word means sicknesses. I have this written in my Bible. I'm one of these that write in my Bible. And if you don't, that's okay. But if you do, I would write that in there right now. (laughs) Sicknesses is what that word griefs mean in the Hebrew. And carried our sorrows, our pains. Sometimes when we're in pain, we don't realize that God cares. God took those on the cross, those pains that we have. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's sin. That's our sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's our weaknesses. We are weak as humans. The chastisement for our peace. That word is shalom. That's better than peace. It's wholeness. The chastisement for our wholeness was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. You know what? Wholeness is not instant. (laughs) I wish I could say it. Just like that. We're whole. No, it's a process. And it's a beautiful process if you'll surrender to it. I want to tell you, because I'm not sure everyone realizes, that we have a beautiful ministry here at this church called Sozo. Soul Restoration soul restoration the path to peace there are flyers out there in the foyer this ministry is led by winnie durning and assisted by deborah waits and these women will pray for you they will pray for you and they'll get you freed up through the power of the cross freed up and healed from your past they do uh, minister now to men as well as women So I'm offering this as a tool to gain wholeness. Yes, amen. So when I teach the word to my ladies, I always lead us to look for God's part and then our part. So what is God's part? God's part was the cross, his finished work. It's done. He's not doing anything else to save you. He's not doing anything else to heal you. It's all been done. It's finished. It's done. Okay, what's our part then? Our part is work, work, work. No, no, no. Our part is belief and trust. Those two words make up faith. You got to have both of them to have faith because you can believe like crazy and not trust God and not see the answers to your prayers. You can trust God for everything and not believe what he said he said was true. Belief and trust in the finished work of the cross. That's our part. All right, I told you I was going to give you two ways to honor your salvation. Here's the second. And it's 
the last thing I'm going to share is that we need to share the gift of your salvation. So I'm going to give you a, a visual or an illustration. It might seem a little lame, but it's what the Lord gave me. Um, let's say, well, actually, let's just picture in our minds. Your mouth's going to water, but um, picture the most delicious, the most delectable, the smoothest, the finest, richest chocolate that could ever be made on the planet. Are you picturing that? Okay. So let's, I mean, if you don't like chocolate, this is going to fall flat. I'm sorry. I apologize. But if you are a lover of chocolate and you're picturing that, let's say that that chocolate, you have an unlimited, never-ending supply. <laughs> so it just shows up at your door whenever you want to eat the benefits of that chocolate. So if you have tasted <laughs> and seen that the Lord is good, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's almost lunch, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you've tasted, this is my favorite chocolate, it's dark chocolate with caramel, Dove, mm. yeah. the best. So if you have tasted that goodness and you know, I'm never gonna run out. I can go to the door anytime I want and it's there in abundance never lacking. Would you not want to give some away? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, thank you, Miss Yvette. I do think if you have a, a supply in abundance that you can't eat it all, I think you're going to share it with your friends and your family. Yes. You're going to say, here, taste, here, taste, taste, see that this gift is amazing. This gift is life-changing. This gift will take you to heaven for eternity. Share the gift. Share the gift. All right, I'm finished. The Lord has an invitation for you today. All of you here in this room, oh, I need some water. <laughs> oh, thank you for hearts that are ready to respond to the word. Mm -hmm. Here's my invitation. Here's the Lord's invitation. Love a little soft background music. Uh, music touches our hearts. Aren't we thankful for music? God gave us that gift so we can worship him and use our gifts like these are using their gifts. Beautifully talented and willing and ready. Thank you, Jesus. Here's your invitation. Who here would say that you are not walking in the fullness of your salvation? Just think about that. Don't respond right now. Just think about that. Let it speak to your heart. If you feel like you're still living like a slave, if you're feeling like you're still stuck in some sin, if you're feeling like you're broken and you need healing and wholeness, let this speak to you. If you are confused about your gender, my heart goes out to you. But your answer is right here in the Word of God. That is where your answer is. It's not medical science, although God gave us medical science. It needs to be under the headship of His authority. 
any confusion, any pain, regrets. He is the answer right here in this word. And he's here. His presence is here. His Holy Spirit's here to touch us. So I would ask for people to be bold. If you feel like you're not fully walking out your salvation, I want you to stand to your feet. Be bold. Be brave. The Lord knows who needs to go further, who needs more. Thank you. Thank you for your obedience. Don't hold back. We're not trying to point anybody out. We're trying to see hearts healed and delivered and encouraged to keep going, to keep walking, to go for the fullness of what he has for you, for wholeness, complete wholeness before we leave this earth. Is there anybody else? You know, right now, instead of asking you to stand, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Anybody who wants to go further in their salvation, come to the altar. This is a place of surrender. This is a place where you say, Lord, I need more. Lord, I want more. Come to the altar. Be brave. Be bold. No one's caring about if you're in front of them. No one's worried about that. This is an invitation personally personally for anyone who wants to go further in their salvation walk don't hold back don't hold back his will his desire is that we walk in fullness of what he died for he went to the cross for this everybody he went to the cross that we would be saved and salvation is the best gift that brings us into right relationship with him thank God for this best gift but he's not done. He wants to save us, spirit, soul, and body. So if you're willing to say, yes, I want more, I want more, come to the altar, come to the altar now and receive, receive what you need from him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're beautiful. You're awesome. You love your children so much. You want them to walk it out. The fullness, not holding back. Thank you, Jesus. All right, if that's everybody, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So let's say together right now, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that there is more to my salvation. I ask you, Jesus, to lead me forward, to step into all that you have for me. I give you glory and honor and praise for your continued work in my life. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the work that you have done today. For the hearts that you've saved, the souls that you've saved, in awe of you, Lord God. There are so many that responded to that word from the Lord, but I believe there's some that are sitting out there that would just say, I could use some prayer. If you could raise your hand, you just say you could use your, do some prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for hearts that are responding to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You have
hand to touch the hearts of your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. While people are still getting prayed for, I want to ask anyone who made that commitment to Christ halfway through my message or even after, I want you to come to somebody, a leader that's up here, and say, what do I do next? Please do that. Don't leave this place without getting the next step. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Shalom. Wholeness. Restoration. God bless you. Don't leave unless you have to. Receive prayer if you need it. You gotta go, go get them tigers.